0: Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face-to-face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on Encounter Grace. My name is Jason McKnight, and we're really glad to have you. And not only you in the listening community, but we're super glad to have Dr. Neil Shinvey with us. Neil, welcome. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to be Uh here it's we're glad to have you here we're recording this one evening so if both of us look a little bit tired if you're watching it's because we have been working all day and it's a great thing but in a few weeks um on in on March 25th at Grace in Kinston Dr Shenvi is going to be with us sharing with us for an evening of a 2 hour seminar with a little bit of a break in the middle a little bit about the state of apologetics in the world. What's going on? What is God up to? And, um, we're really excited that he has the time to spend with us here on the podcast for a couple of minutes. And what we're going to do here is to try to introduce him to us here in Eastern North Carolina. Those of you who don't already know him, it's actually been really fun, Neil. Uh, Several folks at church over the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about it have said, oh, I love this guy. (laughs) Or I heard him here or heard him on a podcast. So already people are thrilled and excited to have you. So, Neil, thanks for making the time tonight.
1: Well, yeah, that's what I do a lot of. So, you know, we talked about this on I've done a lot of interviews. It's got a second hat to me, old hat to me.
0: <laughs> and, and I thought I'd, um, really, because, uh, I thought, you know, as we talked about what kind of questions and how to move an arc through to help folks get to know you, um, honestly, I loved reading your book, Why Believe? And we'll have those, uh, for sale. People can also get them on Amazon, but I love reading it because you come at this as a chemist and I am not a chemist. <laughs> At all, tenth grade. I'm barely
1: a chemist. I'm a theorist, so it's like I'm more like a physicist or a mathematician or a computer scientist. So,
0: well, well, let me ask you all about that. What field then are you in? Since I've already gotten it wrong, (laughs) what got you into it? Why did you stick with it? And you have a doctor in front of your name, so tell us a little bit of that arc of why you love the sciences.
1: Yeah, so I've always loved science and math uh, as a high school student, elementary school student. And uh, when I went to college, I had to decide between majoring in computer science or chemistry. My dad's a chemist. My brother's a chemist. I, all of my dad's family in India are chemists, so they had chemistry degrees. So that was kind of like family tradition. But I uh, really liked math, too. And so I was up in the air. And, and in the end, I chose to major in chemistry because it was the most flexible major at Princeton you could just do a lot of different things, and so I did a chemistry degree, but I had a my a minor certificates in applied math, in computer science, and in material science. Nice. So I had a lot of a sort of uh, I would have only gotten the computer science uh, minor, but my my then girlfriend now wife Christina looking at my transcript, she was like, "You could actually get three certificates, not just one." I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to." She's like, "Come on, you got to do it." So I just you know tweaked my thesis a little bit and ended up getting these three minors but i definitely am a pencil and paper guy not even a computationalist so i do write code and do computer science stuff but mainly my work was um writing on whiteboards thinking really hard if you've seen the russell crowe movie a beautiful mind or you've watched the show the big bang theory which i've never watched but i've been told that that's the kind of stuff they do writing things on whiteboards chalkboards that's the kind of stuff i worked on
0: well I've never ever thought of um chemistry and flexible major in the same <laughs> sense so thank you for expanding my horizons that's really fun. I love a whiteboard too. Anyone at Grace knows I love a <laughs> whiteboard and a chart but it has nothing to do with uh chemistry or physics or formula or anything. It's all about um history or stuff like that. I just mm. I love that kind of stuff. But you grew up in Delaware. Mm. And we have a President who's from Delaware, so everyone's thinking about Delaware more than they used to and Tell us a little bit about growing up and your family background and how you got to Princeton, and then what took you all the way out to Berkeley?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Delaware, very loving, wonderful parents and family uh but they're not christians they're not I was not really raised in a Christian home and uh so I only became a Christian. After going to graduate school, so we'll back it up. I went to Princeton uh, because I just thought it was a great atmosphere. I'd been to other Ivy League schools. But I think they were kind of stuffy. Princeton was very welcoming, very friendly environment. And from what I've heard from other alumni from other schools, Princeton has a very close alumni network. People look back very fondly. I definitely do on our college experience. There was not like really cutthroat competition as I've heard there was at other schools. So we really enjoyed that. I met my future wife there, and we began dating, which I would always caution people. She was a Christian. I was not at the time. And I say, hey, that's, that's going to be dangerous, uh, so I wouldn't do that. But what we intended for evil, God intended for good. And so when we moved out to Berkeley, I said, oh, okay, I'll start going to church with her and hear more about what she believes, and that's how I heard the gospel. And so in the book, I talk about how going to church with her. Reading C.S. Lewis and then also just meeting other uh, Christians who were very smart and intellectual helped to break down my uh, prejudice really against Christianity, and I had to actually consider whether it was true or not. And eventually, you know, th- through God working on my heart, but he, I came to the place where I said, "This is." I, when I actually became a Christian. I didn't say I am certain and for sure that I know all these things are true and I commit my life. Actually, I just kind of cried out to God. I came to a point where I was like, this could be true. And if it is true, I don't like it. There are all these things I don't understand about it that I dislike about it. It's not fair, all this stuff. But I was like, but what if it's just true? And as a scientist, I've been trained to simply follow the truth. You don't go to science and say, well, I know I want this to be true. Therefore, it is true. Let me justify my assumptions. You can't do that. As, you shouldn't do that as a scientist. And so I think I had that just scientific training where I said, if it's true, I have to conform my life to it, whether or not I like it. But I at that moment, I was just thinking, man, there are all these objections I still have. But I said to God at this point, I'm not even sure who you are anymore. I thought I used to know. I was spiritual, but not religious. But I said, if Jesus is your son, I will follow him. And I think that's the moment when I was regenerated. I think that's that's the moment when I, you know, confessed and repent. And, and turned when, The repentance really came in the form of admitting that I did not know God. I was so proud of my intellect and I was so smart and so credentialed and I was, you know, but coming to a place where I had to say, actually, I know less about God than the average backwoods redneck fundamentalist preacher whom i at the time despised i had to come to a place where i said actually i'm gonna humiliate myself and lower my and say actually they know more about god they know god and i don't that was a stumbling block and coming to a place where i said you know what yeah i if, if jesus is the way i'm gonna follow him that was a turning point in my life
0: isn't that amazing that's like straight i mean that's scripture it's the 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 change of mind mm-hmm. is called repentance. Like it's, well, if this is true, it means something for life. Right. And it,
1: and that's like, repentance is a really important concept in the Bible. It's change of mind. It's the Greek metanoia, but it mm-hmm. leads to a change in behavior, right? Because if, if you change your mind truly about something, it's going to reflect how you approach that thing. And that, if that thing is life and god this humongous thing then it it has to show in your behavior so the fruit of repentance obviously has changed life and it changed trajectory but in its essence it's just changing your mind i was thinking wrongly about god and sin i thought sin was great and god was was a cramp my style but actually god is great and sin's ruining me so that change of mind then is reflected in how we live out our lives afterwards
0: yeah well, and that kind of leads me to asking you an, an interesting question that I have not had the opportunity to ask folks, uh, who, you know, really use their brain for a living, <laughs> like a guy like you. But, but chemistry and, and the sciences before coming to Christ and, and exploring it after coming to Christ, not just at that moment, but over the next year or two, Like, did anything change in how you enjoyed it or what you saw in your studies and in your work and in connecting the dots and all that kind of stuff? Like, just qualitatively, how was it different then to work in the hard sciences after you'd become a believer?
1: so i don't think it was all that different i think that again i so i had always believed in god i just didn't think it was the christian god i thought it was this vague generic theistic god who approved of everything that i did and loved me and loved everybody and was non-judgmental so not the biblical god But i believed in god and so i think i always approached i guess science and questions of truth with a sense of wonder and appreciation and beauty and so that's it's very typical actually cs lewis is a quote in the screwtape letters about how he's talking the persona of a of state of the devil, a demon, mm. saying there have been sad cases among the modern physicists in terms of because they're thinking about these intangible, uh non-physical realities all the time. So it's very natural for physicists or theoretic theoreticians and mathematicians to not be these crass materialists and to say, hey, there's a realm beyond just things you can touch and feel and, and smell and taste. And that easily leads you then to say, wait a minute, how do I know all of these stories, these claims about an intangible spiritual reality are false? I can't really, you can't, well, I can't see it or touch it, but I can't see or touch a wave function or, or, uh, you know, an algebraic equation or an algebraic field. So these things are still in some sense real. Anyway, so I think I still approached chemistry very similarly. Um, for me, actually, the biggest change was going from Acad- the academy and academia and my intellect from being a primary source of my identity to being a secondary source because before mm. that point i'd always said what i'm going to do in life is going to i'm going to become a professor i'm going to become a, an academic superstar i'm proud of who i am intellectually that's and i'm going to prove to the world that i'm the smartest person in the universe after becoming a christian quick, quickly i had to realize that i have to let go of that that cannot be my primary identity i got to stop taking much pride not taking pride in but being proud of you can mm-hmm. certainly take pride in things that you do and accomplish but you have to say you know but my ultimate identity is in i'm a christian mm-hmm. and all those things are gifts you know one wrong one small micro stroke or something one small medical mishap and I'm suddenly not a chemist anymore. I'm not a theorist. I'm a vegetable. So it's like it's just like, it's a gift that you should use for God's glory, but not to find your ultimate meaning or purpose or identity in. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a, an amazing um, identity switch though. That's, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not, I mean, it doesn't happen for everyone. And, um, and that is the crux of discipleship though, Our mm-hmm. <laughs> base root identity in Jesus. And then he gives everything else as a gift. Well from Berkeley you moved I think back up to the northeast and then eventually down to Durham and worked at Duke tell us just a little bit about that and then you you talk in uh in your book about the brain tumor that you had so so give us that part of the story.
1: Yeah so my my wife and I were at Berkeley getting our PhDs and then about midway through her program she decided that she'd actually rather be a doctor. <laughs> she didn't like research and she actually had she had originally applied to MD PhD programs as well as PhD programs, both. And she kind of was tossing about not, not sure what to do and ended up going to get a PhD at Berkeley. But then and halfway through was like, actually I do want to get an MD. And so then we, she applied and got into medical school at Yale. So we went there for her medical school. And then I did a postdoc at Yale. And then after five years, she took another year, extra year because we had our first, our son, um, and after that, she moved to North Carolina, UNC, to do her residency. And I I went, obviously, with her, and I worked at Duke for five years as a research scientist. And uh, then, yeah, so but shortly after we moved to Durham, literally, I think it was, I feel like it was 10 days, maybe less, I had to look at the dates, but it was very shortly, we were still unpacking, but I had a, a seizure, it might have been four days, because we, I know it was only one Sunday. We attended the Summit Church West Club campus on a Sunday. It might have been 10 days. So I think we got there on a Thursday. I had a list of churches picked out. I wanted to check out. We went to the first church on my list, which is Summit Church on Sunday. I had, I had coffee with the campus pastor, Brad O'Brien, I think on Thursday, just to get to know him. And then the next two days later, I had a seizure in bed and they drove me to the hospital. And take an MRI and I had a brain tumor. It was a 10 centimeter brain tumor. So was <laughs> a racquetball. Um, in the back, we have a big scar here and they had to have emergency surgery. My parents flew down. My brother flew out. I had to say goodbye to them because it was emergency surgery. And, uh, and, but the surgery was an amazing success. And the tumor turned out to be an incredibly rare one in, I think a hundred million chance of it being this kind of benign tumor. And so it is not cancer, and they removed it. And so I had chemo radiation a year later, and then I had a recurrence. It was it was very slow growing, so I had a recurrence about four years ago where they ended radiation and just radiation, but it's been stable since then. So um, hoping I've had amazingly just no side effects. So I have a oh. tiny bit of like vision that you know your brain rearranges. So I used to have like a little spot in the middle of my vision I couldn't quite see, but it's you know your brain just adjusts. But it's yeah. you know praise God that I have had no other serious side effects. Wow,
0: I mean one in a hundred million. Mm. <laughs> That's that mm. is um, boggling. That yeah. is that is mind boggling. So now, what you do? Uh, as, well, and we'll get to apologetics in a minute. But uh, tell us what you do with your day. You're you're involved at Summit Church. You also um, homeschool your kids. Mm. Keep telling me. keep
1: That's my main job. I mean, it's my main job. So I quit my, so when we had our fourth child, we have four kids, ages 13, 12, 10, and eight. And when my uh, oldest son was entering preschool, my wife got a full-time job at UNC. We uh, bought a new house and we conceived our fourth child. And at that point, my wife's mother was watching our kids during the day. But we thought, you know what? With four kids is too much for her, including a newborn, including uh, a kindergartner. Is, it'll be transported to school. So I said, you know, I will stay home, and and if I'm gonna be at home, I'm not gonna just sit around playing video games. I want to do something useful. So I will homeschool the kids, and I and I'll just see how it goes. And I loved it. So We got involved in a homeschooling community called Classical Conversations, and great people there, and uh, we just loved it. So I've been homeschooling for the last. I guess nine or 10 years now. So all of our kids have only known homeschool and three out of the four of them love it. The fourth one is kind of ambivalent. She's very social. So she would like to have more friends every day, but you know, they, they get socialization is always a big complaint. Well, how do you socialize your kids? You know, church youth group on Sunday, my boys have trail life on Monday. They have classical conversations co-op on Tuesday. They see friends during the week. We set up play dates. Yeah. Yeah. So they had plenty of interaction with and they have each other obviously as a kid and a family of four. So yeah. it's not a it's not a huge problem, I think, in their lives.
0: No, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like thirty, forty years ago or twenty-five years ago, maybe a different on on um, homeschool kids socialized, mm-hmm. but today it's so great. We at our church we have a CC group that has met there, I think for ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. It's just these these are great kids. I love to to um hang around with them a little bit. I mean, I, the teachers don't like me coming in class, but they got to get stuff done, but it's really fun when they're all there. Um I think the CC program is fantastic. So in in addition to being a homeschool dad and boy, that would be fun to have you teaching me chemistry if I was 14. Uh but you're also the Lord has just opened up a ministry in apologetics and of course that's the reason we've invited you in a few weeks to grace i mean it's not because of uh cc but for apologetics and you love to help people think carefully about their faith and for prompting pre-believers to consider christ how did you how did god open this for you how did you step into serving in this way as an apologist
1: when I was at Berkeley, I met some other Christians who were really into apologetics and especially they were interested in in conversations between Christians and atheists. So they partnered with a group of atheists, the the atheist group was called SANE, Students for a Non-Religious Ethos. This was back in the heyday of new atheism. So the the groups partnered and they'd have speakers come and talk to both groups and just interact. And so I saw that happening and uh, at the time, you know, I was a brand-new Christian, so I, I'd, I think I'd, I read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I think I read Lee Strobel's Case for Christ, but I was not really big into apologetics. But then through meeting these atheist groups and talking to one of the atheist president, of the, the president of the group, I remember sitting down with him and having coffee one day, and he said something like, "If you know, I I would totally believe in God if there were just one clear miracle, just one time when there was a miracle it couldn't be explained by any natural means so just one it's all i need and i'm like you just i said like, so you just want one example undeniable of something happening that cannot be explained through nature alone through laws of physics whatever he said yes just one so well, wait a minute do you believe in the big bang because that's like literally they define it as a singularity where all the laws of physics break down and, and he goes huh so I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have zero training in apologetics, nothing. Don't know about the Kalam cosmological argument, nothing like that. I'm just right. asking like an obvious question. And he was just like, huh? I'm thinking, isn't this is that easy? So that was when I first began thinking, hey, it's not that there aren't answers out there that or that it's this is an impossible task. This is actually totally workable. doable. So the so same thing happened to me a few years later when I was at Yale, a friend of mine from high school who was an atheist emailed me and said, hey, are you still religious? Because I have a friend who can talk you out of all of that religious nonsense. So you uh-huh. should go on his blog. So I went to his friend's blog. The friend had gone to Yale also. I was at Yale at the time. And we started dialoguing about religious stuff. And what. And so we had agreement that I would read a book that he recommended, and he'd read a book I recommended, and we'd talk about it love it. so he recommended a book by robert m price called the incredible shrinking son of man and price is one of like the two or three jesus mythicists with a phd so he believes jesus never existed and he has a phd in like i forget what it is like classics or biblical literature whatever. but he's there they're like, like maybe less, there are less than five of them in the world because it's an extremely marginal position yeah so i remember reading that book and just giggling and reading passages to my wife next to me and saying, this is insane. This is like the most outlandish conspiracy theory. So at that point I realized, again, it's not that there are, you know, there are better atheist arguments out there. There Mm -hmm. are. And I give in the book, I go through the hardest arguments, I think in favor of atheism or against Christianity, but there are also a lot of just plain old misconceptions and bad arguments. So I think, christians we can and should be able to give an answer like peter says for the hope that we have within us it's not this impossible task that's relegated to a handful of scholars you can do it anyone can do it anyone should be able to do it and it's definitely not like i say it's it's not this thing you have to have a phd for and be a logician or philosopher everyday people can
0: give answers to people asking
1: basic questions about christianity
0: do you do you still get the opportunity to talk to like like you talk Berkeley Yale when you're in in the campuses? But h- how much today? Like, do you get the opportunity to engage with pre pre believers, non believers, seekers, skeptics, or are you more in an equipping role with believers, trying to encourage us in um, reaching out to neighbors and coworkers?
1: Right. Unfortunately, today I'm mainly in a Christian bubble because I homeschool my kids in a Christian co op. So. You know, I occasionally can talk to people, I mean, neighbors, or people that I meet about Christianity. And more often, like I, I go and give a talk somewhere, and someone in the audience asks me a question. Uh, and when I was working, you know, at at you know Yale and Berkeley, I'd have many more opportunities to converse with my colleagues, my coworkers, uh, just people like that. And one of the there are a lot of ways to, to do very non-threatening apologetics and evangelism. One thing I did at, at uh, Duke, actually, is I had on my desk at Duke prominently, not like a sign, but I had a stack of Tim Keller's Reason for God's on my desk uh, in my office. Just sitting there. And it was not like one. It was like eight. <laughs> so it's clearly were, there's a, a pile of them. So people would. And that was intentional. People would be like, what's that book? It's like, you want one? There you go. That's it. So it's it. Totally non-threatening, and but I remember one time a guy. This is a fascinating story. A guy came in who's a very well-known theoretical chemist, and he he has been. I think he's been named as someone who has been nominated for a Nobel Prize. This is a really famous person. He came into my office one day with a visiting professor. They came, walked by the desk, kind of. He didn't. I didn't know him well. He kind of, you know, said hi to me, and he left. And he, and he says, "What's that book?" like oh it's reason for god it's a very good book you want one he's like yeah sure so he grabs one takes it then he comes back and I maybe mean, this is a long time ago it's like 10 years ago shortly after my brain tumor so it's a little fuzzy but i'm pretty sure this, this interaction happened this way but he came back and he goes can i get one for my friend this is and this is amazing so and i never i didn't follow up i didn't really know the guy well but those are the opportunities that god opens the door for and it's completely well i'm frightened of evangelism well That's very easy, (laughs) a stack of books on your desk that you're and then that you've read And you can say, hey, I'd love to for you to read this. And you tell me what you think of it. You think it's terrible. You can tell me that. I don't mind. And we can talk about that. It's a great way to open the door to conversations.
0: Neil, why did you choose? um, Why did you choose Reason for God?
1: Oh, At the time. So I really liked the book. So it came in 2005, I think. So I forget how I first heard of it, but I read it. This is great, so phenomenal book. Uh, and I, and when I went when I was at Yale, I actually bought a whole case of them. And with a friend who worked for Crewe, we went and sat in front of the um, the main freshman dining hall at Yale with a book table, and gave away free books. Now back up a little bit. When I became a Christian, well, before I was a Christian at Princeton, Crew had set up a book table in front of the princeton dining hall the forbes dining hall where i was a student and they passed out free books it was the bible the c.s lewis's screw letters and the and i think mere christianity so i ignored the bible and i grabbed the two books by lewis and i read that book the screw tape letters like 20 times before becoming a christian so then fast forward 10 years later And when I heard about that story that that happening at Yale, I was like, this is great. This is part of my own journey to Christ. And so I want to help. So my friend John and I would sit once a week or something, and we just hand out free books. And I think they were handing out your Christianity and the Bible. And those are great. But I was like, you got to hand out your uh, reason for God. This is so helpful. And so I bought this box of books and we handed them out. And But after a while, I'm like – I think I even e- I emailed Penguin and said, can I get a discount because I'm buying, like, this bulk order. And I, and I <laughs> but after a while, I was like, I can't afford to keep handing out copies of this this book. So or that was when I first got the idea, well, I'll write a book, and I'll hand it out for free. That will That's what I'll do. I'll just – it'll save money. This will be efficient. So that was the first time I thought I will write my own book, and that was a sort of seed that then 10, 15 years later grew into the book Why Believe.
0: Mm -hmm. and and i thought this was extremely well written neil and i'm sure you've heard people say that before but but like i've read them all i've read mere christianity know why you believe case for christ reason for god i think they're all great each for their own generation and i think really this one is so helpful today because it arises out of your experience and your thinking but i loved the way you laid it out and it was different than what I've seen in the past. You, you handled truth and then Jesus, the person of Jesus with the resurrection, because without that, everything else falls apart. And then you handled God, which I thought most mm-hmm. people front load that, but I think it was right to do that. And then I don't know, a third to half of the book on sin and salvation, maybe not that much, maybe, maybe a quarter to a third, but I thought that was excellently done. Like you, you, you led me through it so well. And I was learning stuff on about every third page. I'm like, I never thought of that before. I never thought of that before. Um, I, I mean, how did you, why like that? Yeah. It's an interesting
1: question because several people said that's an unusual sequence. Why would you start with Jesus? And there are a couple of reasons. One is that um, if I had to give an elevator, talk to someone about Christianity, I, the I would start with Jesus. Because Jesus is about Christianity is about Jesus primarily. Like who is he? Who is he? And so, so I want to. If I only have one person's attention for like five minutes, then I want to say who is Jesus. And uh the other thing, a second point, then is that people do seem to be receptive to Jesus. Well, I'm not really religious, but I like Jesus. i like, Okay, okay, let's start there. Now, what I the point in the chapter I follow, Lewis's trilemma is that you can't just like Jesus. That's my whole point. But if you're if they're gonna if they're gonna say, well, I like Jesus, hey, I'll use that as an opening. Let's start with him. Do you really realize? Do you know what he actually says? Just and I one of the things I close the chapter with is why don't you actually read Matthew, yeah. Mark, Luke, and John? Just just read it. Don't if you like Jesus so much, wonderful. But I hope you're not getting this picture of Jesus that you got from you know I don't know some, maybe dim memories of sunday school when you were three and a billboard you saw one time and maybe an as a commercial during the super bowl that had jesus in it i hope that you actually will read his biographies and then come to a conclusion about him so that's a, that's another reason and then um i think it just naturally flows then well okay jesus made these claims but then he also was raised from the dead how do you deal with that central miracle of christianity And then, then you say, "Well, okay, that's the evidence is kind of strong, but yeah, I don't believe in God." Okay, let's talk about God then. So, and then last of all, and I do devote a significant portion of the book to this, is the gospel. Mm -hmm. Is and I actually frame it not as a present, an evangelist presentation, which it is, but Mm -hmm. actually as an argument that the gospel itself is the best argument for Christianity. So, actually, after writing the book, I think if I had an elevator talk, I actually might start with a gospel as an argument for christianity's truth but again then you're like but well, what do you mean the gospel gospel says jesus died for his and who's jesus <laughs> okay that got to back right. up so i think there are a lot of arguments you can make for the classical the classical method of apologetics starts with it's two steps it's god exists and it's the christian god that's the classical apologetics method rc Sproul and other people are, are very uh popularized but i take a sort of different order uh, it's not really a two-step method. It's kind of a one-step. It's like, here's Jesus. Uh, here's the resurrection. Here's the Christian. I don't just argue for the for, the, for God in an abstract sense. Here's the Christian God, and here's the Christian gospel. So I have these four arguments that don't just point people to sort of a bare theism, but point them right to Christianity. Like That was important for me too. I, I don't want people to become theists. It's actually, a funny story. I gave a talk at Duke years ago. And before the talk, we're sitting, it was through InterVarsity, we're in our auditorium and a guy behind me, someone mentioned, I'm sitting with someone who's talking, you're the the speaker, you're going to go up after this time. And the guy is listening behind me and he kind of leans forward. He goes, are you, are you the speaker? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, is this going to be like a, a worship service or like a a sermon? And he clearly is nervous. Uh, And, and he, and he, and he, and and he's like, cause I'm an atheist. And I was like, well, no, this is going to be a talk. There's going to be some singing. Yes, I, I admit it. <laughs> but <laughs> after that, when I get up there, it's going to be a talk about reasons to think that God exists. And he's like, OK. So because he, he's like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, OK, got it. So I go up and I give a talk on does God exist and the evidence for God's existence. And afterwards, he comes up to me and he goes, OK, but question, can I be a deist? Mm. And i was like that's interesting and actually that's now, now i did present the. Like, i think i it's a long time ago i think i gave the gospel i think i explained this is a christian god i'm talking about but his gut reaction was okay that's strong there apparently strong arguments but he wanted to stop at deism i'm not trying to judge his state or his heart but it's interesting that our heart because we're sinners we're okay with having a kind of a sky santa and this source of goodness and yep. he doesn't really judge but having a consuming fire having the holy one of israel as our god it's threatening so we want to stop all of us wants to stop at theism or to stop at sort of vague theism we don't want to go all the way to what to jesus to the god of the bible so i think that's why it's important for me to in every section it's not about proving that just that God exists, or just that Jesus was some kind of religious figure, that no, Christianity as a a religion, as a system of thinking, as a way to approach, is true. Yeah, yeah, that is
0: so good. And you led with the exclusivity of Christ without having to camp on that in a way that would be off-putting, but because you put Jesus right at the front.
1: Yeah, he's different. And he's not claiming I'm a good teacher. He's like, no, I'm not. He's like, there's one who's good. That's God. So you calling me God or are you calling me a normal human teacher? You can't have you can't have a good human teacher. There's only the only one who's good as God. So is that me?
0: That was what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, Neil, there's a lot of other stuff I'd love to talk to you about, but unfortunately the um the Zoom time limit is collapsing on me here, and I apologize for this. But the great news is you're coming our way in just a few weeks, and we can't wait because we didn't even talk about critical race theory, which I know you have done a lot of work on. And that's one of the things you're going to be sharing with us. So I just want to say thank you right now for, for making the time to help us get to know you a little bit and sharing some of your enthusiasm and thinking. And we are so excited to be with you in a few weeks. My pleasure. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks so much, Neil. And we'll talk very soon. Everybody, thank you for joining us here on Encounter Grace, and we'll see you back here next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.